Good afternoon, church. Victory in Jesus. And as we were singing that, I could only think of the late brother Jim Raven. Victory in Jesus. In fact about it, this wasn't part of my message, but since I said that, let me just look at this last verse. And, uh, you know, I'll tell you something about uh, the late uh, Brother Raby. That man I'm trying to figure out how to say this. It was no way that I was going to let that man outlove me loving my kids. That man loved my kids so doggone much until it made me jealous that I was determined to outlove my kids more than he did. That's what he taught me. I, I would watch him, how he responded to my kids, and how he loved my kids, and I would say to myself, I got to love my kids more than he loved them. So I knew uh, victory in Jesus was something special to him. And I'm looking at this last verse as we were singing it. I heard about a mansion he has built for me in glory. And I heard about the streets of gold beyond the crystal sea about the angels singing in the old redemption story. And some sweet day, I'll sing up there the song of victory. So he's experiencing that as we stand here tonight. And believe it or not, that verse over there in Hebrew that talks about the great cloud of witness, they have gone in with us here at Haven, believe it or not. So as I look out there, it may look like a small group, but I think in reality it really not, because I searched Red Mind sometime back, and he gave me a verse where that, that was the case. So the angels even wants to hear this this afternoon, and uh, those that have gone before us, that's part of this church, they are gathering as with us as well. So we are a much larger crowd than you really think that we are. You know, and also uh, we have two other saints that have departed here recently. Uh, Sister Rosalie is experiencing this as well. And Sister Cooley is experiencing this as well. But one day we will join them. Okay, with that said, uh, bow with me in prayer, please. Our Father, who is our God, we come this afternoon, Lord, because you compelled us to come, and we come out of the love, Lord, that you have demonstrated towards us while we were yet sinners. And Lord, we just thank you for your holy word, and we ask you, Lord, this very moment, would you bless it to our spiritual nourishment, especially, Lord, because this parable that we are going to look at, it is so familiar, Lord, 
Lord, we pray that you will give us spiritual eyes to see things in it that we have not seen before. Or, Lord, to have brought to our mind things that we have learned in the past but have forgotten or have not applied in our life before you as we ought to. Lord, teach us then by your Spirit, according to your holy word, and we ask these things in no other name but Jesus Christ, our Lord and our God. And all God people say, Amen. Now, if I've got a little nervous already, I can tell because I'm getting dry throat. And what I want to say, it's even scary to me as well. So sometimes I hear the men's pray, you know, what the Lord has laid upon my heart. And But what I want to talk to you about this afternoon is that parable over in Matthew chapter 13. And to put things in perspective, thinking in terms of this, from Matthew 1 up to Matthew chapter 12, what Jesus has done is given to the people some principle of how the kingdom of God is going to operate. The uh, Beatitudes, you know, he talks about don't judge and don't do these things. So he's given some principles of how the kingdom is going to operate. When we get to Matthew 13, there's a transition that's taking place in 13 where Jesus is going to, he began to tell the people how the kingdom is going to begin. And how the kingdom is going to begin is going to begin by virtue of preaching. The kingdom of God will begin by preaching. And he began to share with them parables. Now understand, in the past, Jesus also spoke in parables, but those parables was only graphic and they were illustration. But now, Jesus' message is going to be parables. And that's a big, big distinction. So this is not the first time that he's spoken parables. He has spoken in the past. It is just the form that he spoke them with. In the past, there was illustration or just graphic pictures. But now, his entire message will be laced with parables. So, he going to show us that the kingdom of God will begin by preaching of the word and the planting of the seed in the heart of the people. Jesus, the Messiah, understand, prior to this, has already been rejected. You know, he has been going about in Israel there, sharing the gospel with the people, and he has been rejected from day one. In fact, about it, born as a child, they even tried to annihilate him, to kill him. So now the cultural religious people have rejected Jesus and he began to withdraw and going to teach the disciples by way of parables. 
now to bring, now now think about this, the Jews of the nation of Israel was expecting the Messiah, but they was not expecting, they was, they had formulated their mind the type of Messiah that they were looking for, which we all know a warrior, a political ruler to come in and overthrow Rome and then set up his kingdom. That's what they were looking for. And now by virtue, when they realized that that was not the reason that Jesus came, that's when they kind of turned against him. So now, think about that. They are expecting a political messiah to come in and set up shop. But Jesus realized this. This is what Jesus realized. To bring in a political kingdom before men are born again would be a trapster. Understand what the Jews wanted. They wanted him to come in, set up his shop, overthrow Rome, and then they all in power. But Jesus realized men need to be born again first and foremost. And then my kingdom. So therefore, a, a period is now announced between the Messiah first coming and the Messiah second coming. See, because the Jews think that Jesus was coming just how many times? One time. They was expecting Jesus only come one time, set up his kingdom, and then that's it. But Jesus realized something that men needed to be born again. So now, this period between his first coming and his second coming, something needed to transpire. And that's where this parable is going to take us to. Now, that period that Jesus, that interim period that Jesus, between his first coming and his second coming, is a period of you and I are experiencing right now called the what? See. Church. See, the Jews never expected Christianity. The only thing that they wanted was what? Judaism. That's it. That's, that's it. That's as far as they was going. In fact, about it, think about this here. When Jesus was beginning to say, I'm going to Jerusalem and die, what did Peter do? Oh, no, 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 you're not going to do that. You are a Messiah. You're here to do this thing that we expecting. See, they had their own ideas of what they expected a Messiah to do. To overthrow Rome. You, you, you see where I'm trying to go in regards to Jesus' first coming and second coming, which the Jews had no inkling of this. And, okay. Now, with that said, Jesus changed his method of teaching and the disciple asked Jesus, why? Why are you doing this? 
And what I want us to do with that said is this. Stand with me, and I'm going to ask Dennis to look at Matthew chapter 13, verse 9. Stand with me. We're going to read a word, and then we're going to kind of set out. Dennis, look at Matthew chapter 13, verse 9. Uh, Rick, look at Mark chapter 4, verse 24. And Pastor Kia, look at Luke 8, 18. Dennis has Matthew 13, 9. He's going to read first. I'm going to go to Rick, Mark 4, 24. And then I'm going to come to Pastor Kia at 8, 18. So listen to these three scriptures here. And you're going to get the gist of this parable, how we listen to the word of God. Read that for me, Dennis. That's it. See? Jesus is talking to the audience and saying, hey, he that has ears, let him hear. Go ahead, Rick. Go ahead. Okay? May the Lord bless the reading and the hearing of his holy word. You may be seated. Now, I want us to read those particular verses because Matthew, Mark, and Luke record this particular parable. And in each case, Jesus is warning the people to listen up and be careful how you listen. Because he does not want them to listen with their mind. He wants them to listen with their heart. He don't want them to walk by sight. He wants them to walk by faith. Because the, the culture, religious leaders has already rejected Jesus. And now he is going to talk to the common people in parable. This is what's going on there. So this parable is about a lesson about receiving the word of God. That's what this parable is about. Now, if you notice as you might have read that parable, there's nothing in there in regards to the sower's skill. There's nothing in there about his skill. Also, there's nothing in that parable about the quality of the word of the word. Excuse me. There's nothing in that parable about the quality of the seed. There's nothing in there about the skills of the sower. There's nothing in there about the quality of the seed. The only thing that's really in that parable is about the quality of the soil. And we're going to really see the physical realm. That's how he is speaking. In this parable, he is going to put it alongside something that is natural. So he's going to take the natural realm and he's going to take something spiritual and put it beside it that the peoples can understand it. That's what's going on in regards to this agrarian Example that he is utilizing to make a spiritual emphasis. That's what's, that's what's kind of happening there. So, so 
before, now, before Matthew 13, Jesus spoke in parables, as I just said, and he used them for only illustration purposes. Now, Matthew 13 on, he is using parables to form the basis of his message. So his messages is going to be covered in parables. Now, Jesus is hiding the truth as an act of judgment and mercy. Many already have rejected the truth. And using parables, it will minimize their condemnation. So if they continue to hear more truth and more truth and more truth, they're going to be condemned more and more. Because they already have rejected the truth. So now Jesus is speaking in parables to the common people. They would understand about sowing seeds, but the so-called educated would not discern what Jesus was saying. In a good illustration, I began to share with faith right after church this morning. So let us go to Harvard, Yale, Colgate, Preston, Brown, and let's talk about sowing seeds from a farming point of view. And they will look at us like we are crazy because they are city people and can't relate to that. So now you have these culture-educated religious people who have their own tradition and rejecting the truth. Jesus began to speak to the common people using examples in their culture that they can relate to which it was a farming community, so he is using this example, and they get it. But also he wants them to discover a spiritual truth, and they will get it as well. But the religious culture people already has approached Jesus with a closed mind, and that's what religion does to you. It shuts down your mind that you cannot listen or will not receive the truth anymore. And this is what has happened with the Sadducees and the Pharisees, who Jesus is making a lot of correction in his teaching in regards to what they are teaching. Because he would over and over say, you heard it said, but then Jesus would say, but I say. So he is correcting them. So now, that brings us to Matthew 9 and 10. And we can listen with our physical ears and not receive the message within. And that's why I had us to read those three verses. Because Jesus is saying is, yeah, you have ears and you can hear me, but you may not receive what I'm saying because you are receiving it here, but I want you to receive it in your heart. This is what he wants, he's warning the peoples about. I don't want you to accept me based upon head knowledge. I want you to accept me based upon heart knowledge. I want you to accept me based upon faith. Okay? Here's a good example. Think of this. Noah Ark. Why do you think we can't 
find it that we can photograph it. See, think about that. Some people want to see it in order to what? But Jesus said, no, no. You guys, I don't want you to receive me and accept me based upon what you see. Now, Jim Kidd always warned us in our Sunday school class that many people would miss heaven by how many inches? See, that's what Jesus is saying. If you take a ruler and you put here to here, what they are saying, that's about 18 inches on the average person. So what they are saying is many people will miss heaven by 18 inches for the simple reason they cannot transfer their head knowledge to heart knowledge. And this is exactly what's going on here in the nation of Israel with these culture-educated people, the Sadducees and Pharisees. So Jesus is saying now is, let's withdraw and teach my disciples because guess what? I'm going to be crucified and I'm going to go away and I'm going to send the Holy Spirit and now these guys got to go out and do what they saw me doing. And by virtue of that, guess what? You're going to be treated the way they treated me. They're going to reject you as well. But I'm going to tell you one thing. There's nothing wrong with you, the sower, and there's nothing wrong with my message. So don't tinker with it or don't do anything with it because the problem is not the sower. The problem is not the word of God. We're talking about the seed and we're going to get in there. The problem is what? Same thing, same thing because the metaphor is the soil is representing the what? You see? So both of you guys are right. So, you know, I, I, I appreciate where we're trying to go with this here. Because this is really, really interesting of what's going on in this particular parable. And the thing that really got me is, all of a sudden, Jesus is going to hide the truth from unbelievers. And that really got me. And so I had to sit there for a while just looking out the window trying to figure out, why would he do this? And then it dawned on me, and I finally woke up and I saw the reality of what was going on here in this story versus what go on out in the real world, how people reject the truth. And that's when I began to go on college campus because being part of that, I know what's going on. So I took some of the Ivy League school and I tried to relate to this right here. And then I said, okay, it's the educated people that he has been dealing with all these times, religious, cultural, peoples in Israel, and now they don't want to hear it for the simple reason is Judaism is something that's going to be the past and Christianity is coming in. That's why he used the thing about putting old wine, uh, uh, putting new wine in old wine skin. Because a transition is getting ready to take place going from Judaism to Christianity. But they asked Jesus, I'm kind of getting off track here, but I think I need to throw this out here. They began to ask Jesus to compromise and put new wine into old wine skin. So let's have a mixture of Judaism and Christianity. And Jesus said, no, no, there's no way. No way. You know, because you guys are saying you got to be circumcised to get into your group. Mine's is going to be stricter by the grace of God. 
So that's why we do not have the Noah Ark. That's why no one can find it for the simple reason is Jesus is not interested in people believing based on what they see. It's by faith. Okay, with that said, Jesus at some point is going to send out the disciples. Now, the meaning of the main features of this parable are very, very clear. Jesus himself in verse, at that parable in Matthew 13, in verse 18 through 23, tells us what each of those main features mean. The sower, the seed, and the sower are all specifically identified by the Lord Jesus Christ. We don't have to guess what they mean. He told us here in his word. And if you look at verse 37, for instance, we are told explicit that the Son of Man is the sower. Now, if you look at the other gospel, they don't really identify who this person is. But Matthew identified this particular person because it's Jesus in Matthew who is telling this parable. That's who's telling it. Now, this is the Lord Jesus who is the sower, and of course, by extension, all who also faithfully share the message, they too are in the sense they sow. That's you and I. We go out and we sow the seed. But it's primary, it is the Lord Jesus who is the sower. This parable is about him and about the fact that though he is the Messiah and he preaches the word of truth, yet there are a lot of people who don't accept him at this particular time. Now what is the seed? The seed again we are explicitly told is the message of the kingdom. The word of God. The seed in the natural realm. In the spiritual realm is the word of God. And how do you compare the seed. With the word. We can take a seed and put it in the ground. And life come to it. Hebrew talks about the word of God is alive. And sharper than any two-edged sword. So that's the comparison between the seed and the word. Uh, the seed, we are told in verse 19 and also in verse 11 and 17, is the message of the kingdom. And the saw, which you guys just identified, it is a symbol for the heart of men. So Jesus is pressing home in this particular parable as our hearts are, so we respond to the word. As our hearts are, is how we respond to the word. Now this is a great truth of this parable. In each of the four instances of this parable, the saw or the heart is different. And so let us look at those together. Now the first one. The first one can be found in verse 4, if you have your Bible, Matthew 13, 4. And I'm not really kind of reading that in its entirety, but I'm just kind of talking about it for the sake of time. Because the thing is this, you are very, very familiar with this parable. But many times we can become so familiar with things and we can forget things. So I think it's really important to go back and look at this. And, and, and rekindle this and let's see what it's really saying to us today. 
So what I call the first hearer, you know, you talk about how you hear the word. I call this first hearer an unresponsive hearer. Or you can say he has a unresponsive heart. He is not responding to the word of God at all. And he is unresponsive, and if you read that, you would notice that he has no comprehension at all. And it says the seed falls on top of the hard path walked on by many, many people. In fact, about it, it's just like in this room here, this is a big field, and just say the outer perimeter we utilize day in and day out for traffic passing through the farmer field. And that path become very, very hard. So now this farmer, you gotta understand, has gone out and he has plowed his field and his plowshare only goes about eight inches deep. So now he is tilling the ground, turning over the soil. So now he is ready to plant. Also you gotta take into consideration eight, just say eight inches and below, he don't know what is below those eight inches that this plowshare is digging. But we do know that he's out and he's broadcasting and he's casting these seeds. So now, this hard ground represents someone who is heartened by sin. They hear but does not understand the word and Satan plucked the message away keeping their heart dull and preventing the word from making an impression. So they have no mind, there's no word going in their mind, and no heart at all. They are totally unresponsive to the word of God. Totally unresponsive. Okay? Jesus is telling this parable and Jesus has gone about in the nation there preaching and teaching and they refuse to hear the word. And the word is clearly shared because that's his mission is to share the word of God with the people. And we know that what Jesus is teaching is clearly true but the people refuse the word. So this person is unresponsive. The heart is the problem. And Jesus is pressing home to both us and to his disciples in this example that you will deal with people as such. Now I'm going to tell you something. I honestly believe that where we are in society now I actually believe the best way to minister to people today is as you witness to them. Because you can say, uh, invite people to church. You say, well, come to my church. They'll come up with all kinds of excuses. Oh, well, it's nothing but a bunch of hypocrites over there. You know, all they want is to talk about is money and all this kind of stuff. Look at all the stuff that's going on out there, you know. Uh, preachers are buying all these jets. They'll tell you all these kind of things. But what I'm really kind of finding out is this. As you're talking with people, you got to ask them a key question. It's not so much inviting them to church, 
But ask them this. Who is Jesus to you? Don't try to invite them to church. You get in a conversation with them. You're talking with them. You've got to ask them this. Who is Jesus to you? They might engage you or they might not. But I tell you what. They got something to think about. They got something to think about. Because you can invite them to church and they'll come up with all excuses and tell you this and never show up. But you got to go for that one question. Who is Jesus to you? So we see the first type of soil is a soil that is hardened due to the fact that it's been walked on and beaten down. And the implication is the spiritual realm is we have people who have hard hearts and they are unresponsive to the gospel. Now notice in verse 5 and 6, we see another type of hero. And that particular hero is what I call an impulsive hero. Or you can say an impulsive heart. A person with an impulsive heart they take no consideration of what will be necessary or may happen in the future. This particular time, they will respond to the gospel not taking into consideration what is going to happen today, I mean say tomorrow, next week, next month, or next year. And something is going to happen because their faith must be tested. It must be tested. So now, Jesus identified that as the stony ground. It's a picture, a man who professed delight with the word, however his heart is not changed. They express an interest in the word of God, but their heart is not changed. And when trouble arises, he or she, so-called faith, quickly disappears. This is the person who when you share the gospel, they respond immediately and yet they do not seem later to persevere in the faith. They do not seem to persevere in the faith. So they receive the word, but they receive the word here, but it does not make it to their heart. So it is the temptation is the thing that really kind of get them because the enemy will come and tempt them which we know that is just a test of trial from God. And I read something the other day that really impressed me Temptation. It's a temptation is an opportunity to accomplish a good thing in a bad way. Listen to this. Temptation is an opportunity to accomplish a good thing in a bad way. An example of this is this. I got to pass a test which is good, but I cheat. See, let me read it again. Temptation, an opportunity to accomplish a good thing, 
in a bad way. It's good for me to pay my bills, but in order for me to pay my bills, I got to go out and steal. You see how it kind of goes here. And when I read that, I thought that was so true because that's how the enemy wants you to think. This is what I got to do, and it's okay. But in reality, it's all wrong. All right? So now we have the, this, the person who have strong emotional response to the message of the gospel at first and who heartily embraced the gospel and yet later on has fallen by the side. They have fallen away. And when you talk in that capacity, that's apostatized. But they never was truly saved because it was just received here and not in their heart. You know, so we have the unresponsive heart, which is the hard heart. We have the impulsive heart. And now we're going to look at the third kind of soil, and that is the preoccupied heart. Here is a heart that is preoccupied. Now look at uh, verse 7 in that parable. Now as you look at verse 7 in that parable, you'll see the explanation in verse 22. And in that parable, verse 7, they speak of the thorny ground. And the thorny ground depicts one who seemed to receive the word, but whose heart is full of riches, pleasure, and lust. The things of this world takes his time and attention away from the word, and he ends up having no time for it. So this, as I said, is a picture of the preoccupied heart. This person apparently respond to the gospel, and yet there are other desires in this person's heart that finally the desire for the kingdom is choked out altogether. Now notice two things in regards about their worldliness. Their worldliness keeps this person from embracing the kingdom On the one hand, this person, we are told, is latent down with the cares of this world. This person is preoccupied with this life. This person has anxiety about this life. Just maybe this person is consumed with accumulating in this life. Whatever this hearer is preoccupied with, they cannot focus their heart upon that which is most important, and that is God and his kingdom. Now this kind of heart wants to be fruitful, but the love of the world is stronger than their love for God. And we know that you cannot serve two masters. You're going to hate one or love the other one. And this is the principle that Jesus is going at with this particular person, with this preoccupied heart, because now they have become double-minded, as James speaks of them. 
So that is the heart that is preoccupied. But also notice the other kind of worldliness of this preoccupied heart that chokes it out. It is the profession, the false promises of riches. See, Satan has made this promise that I will give you this if you serve me, but it's a false promise to this particular heart that becomes preoccupied with the world. The deceitfulness of riches is the phrase that the Lord Jesus gives. He tells us in that phrase that Worldly comfort and wealth is deceitful. It doesn't deliver the satisfaction that it promised. So that's what's going on with the preoccupied horde. The world has got their attention. Now, there is the final horde, uh, the final hearer, how they are listening to the word of God. And that particular sorrow that the Lord Jesus speaks of, and it is the only sorrow which is believing. And that particular heart I call a responsive heart. This is a heart that is responding to the word of God. The good ground as they, as Jesus mentioned in that particular passage. The good ground portrays the one who hears understands and receives the word and then allows the word to accomplish its results in his life or her life. The person represented by the good ground is the only one of the four who is truly saved because salvation proof is fruit. Salvation proof is fruit. They hear and they understand God has told and God has taken hold of their minds. They live according to the gospel. Their will, their affection, their desires, their actions flows from a transformed heart. Well-prepared hearts bear fruit with patience. The mark of an authentic Christian is faithful endurance. The mark of authentic faith is endurance. And what I want us to do is to read Matthew 13.23. Jack, find Matthew 13.23 for me. Doug, find Mark 4.20 for me. 4.20. And buddy, could you find Luke 8.15 for me? And we're going to close here in a few minutes. Matthew 13.23, Jack has that. Yeah, that's good. The only person, what I'm trying to show you is the, 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 uh, the defining thing about salvation The proof is fruit. Go ahead, Doug, and read uh, 4.20 for me. 
That's okay. Buddy, uh, 8.15. Yeah, Luke 8.15. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. And I want us to read those verses because salvation proof is fruit. And I will repeat, the mark of authentic faith is endurance. It's not professional faith and then falling away. It is enduring to the end. That's what some of the saints that have gone before us in this church, they endured to the end. And if you recall, the Lord Jesus has already defined for us what a believer is. And a believer is one who does the will of him who sent me. And this is the final song in verse 8 and 23. We see a fruitful heart. This is the person who hears and obeys and lives and blesses others by the kingdom message. One thing and one thing only distinguish the good ground, the good soil from the rest is fruitfulness. That's the only thing that distinguish those four different hearts. It was fruitfulness. And we know that this particular fruit is none other than the fruit of the Spirit. And the fruit of righteousness. And it talks about the fruit of our lips. We come and we worship and we praise God. You know, the other three was not doing those things. And that's why Jesus declared them to be unbelievers. I had some notes to close on here. But anyway, I was going to just give us some examples of that, but I think what I'm going to do is kind of leave it at that. But the key in all of this is there's nothing wrong with the sower. There's nothing wrong with God people. They are just doing what God asked them to do. They have the unadulterated message. It's not take a will. They are going forward with that. But you're going to deal with a variety of peoples out there whose hearts are at different points in life. And we can't worry about rejection because it's so clear that we got all these hearts. Man has a heart problem. And we got to accept that reality. But we still got to do what we have to do, and that is to proclaim the word of God because that is the job that God gave us to do. So, with that said, let us be mindful of the purpose of our salvation, and that is to bear fruit for God. And also, we are responsible to be sore, who proclaim the word of God to the lost and the dying world around us. We are responsible to proclaim God's message as accurately and as clearly as possible but we are not responsible for the harvest itself. So let us pray. Lord God, we shut our mouth before your word. How awesome 
is the teaching of our Lord. Help us to embrace it for his sake and his name. And we have prayed in Jesus' name. And all God people say, Amen.